Well, we are, we're in week seven in this journey through Philippians. Next week will probably be our last. Isn't that, isn't that a, a disappointing in a way? I've really enjoyed taking our time going through this particular letter. The, the week uh, after that, of course, is Christmas Day, uh, the 25th, in case you didn't know. And so on that day, if you're new to Hills Church, just so you know, we actually celebrate Christmas Day at 8 o'clock. And so keep that in mind. You've got to be here by 8, because if you turn up at 9, you'll probably pass us in the car park. So don't forget that, very important. This week in Philippians, we're in chapter 4. And chapter 4 is like there's a series of paragraphs that are like kind of separate but connected in some ways. They're encouragements, they're advice for us as believers and followers of Christ. You know, how, how do we live in this world that's often filled with pain and, and sometimes it's pressure as well that comes against followers of Jesus and I saw uh, in one of the translations I was checking through, sometimes they have headings throughout uh, the chapters, right? And this particular Bible I was looking in, the heading was Exhortations. Exhortations. I liked it. So I decided that's the name of the sermon today, Exhortations. The dictionary says exhortation means emphatically urge someone to do something. And, you know, that's what Paul does, doesn't he? You know, he's urging us to do some things. They're not just pithy sayings. Paul's saying, receive them, and you know, we really should apply them and, and act on them. So we'll get started today, and here's the first exhortation. Number one, stick with Jesus. That's it. Stick with Jesus through thick and thin. Here's what he says, verse 1, chapter 4. My, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you. Remember, he's writing a letter. Uh, Dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now, the, work, the, the word there, therefore, if you're wondering why he starts, why the chapter starts with therefore, firstly, he didn't put the chapter numbers in there. We did that. But he's talking about what we read at the end of last week, at, at the end of chapter 3 there, where he was saying, you know, we, we're heavenly citizens. And remember, we are talking about how uh, we live like Jesus could be coming, and we're reminded of an eternal perspective. So this is the lesson. What I love about Paul is that he constantly spurs on believers. You know, it's always don't waver. Keep the faith. Don't let things cut in across you. Stay true to the Lord. If there's one thing that pleases Paul, it's Christians who are consistent in their faith. The ones who do stay true, they don't turn back. You know, there's no, there's no turning back. That's what brings Paul real joy. He loves it. He loves it. He says it's actually, it's like a crown. It's like a crown to him. Other people's faith and transformation is his reward. And I understand Paul's heart on this. You know, I, as a pastor, I, I grieve when, when people fall away from the Lord, particularly those that I've been ministering to. I still love them dearly. You know, we don't ever give up on anyone, do we? We're always reminded of the, of the prodigal son where Jesus always, there's that beautiful picture of him waiting at the gate to run as soon as he sees them on the horizon. But it does make us sad, doesn't it, when people fall away from, from following Jesus. But when people grow in their faith, year in, year out, and you, you share with me, how God's working in your life or an opportunity he gave you and you responded to it. I, I'm, I'm with Paul. I love it. I'm filled with joy 
It's, if I can be as bold as Paul, it's like a crown for me. The truth is, though, that there's a lot of distractions, temptations, and troubles that crowd out people's faith and commitment to Jesus. And this is why we, you know, we meet on Sundays. This is why you fellowship together. We've got to spur each other on, don't we? You know, we've got to encourage each other to stay true to the Lord, as, as Paul said when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. So let's hear this exhortation today from Paul. Stay true to the Lord. If you've been wavering lately, hear the word, word of God. Stay true. God's been true to us. We, we, can ease, we can stay true to him. So now Paul switches to an issue in the church. We're up to... Exhortation number two, it's, there's actually an issue between two ladies. They've had this falling out, and you know, they're probably leaders within the church. Something's gone wrong between them. And so he writes this, exhortation number two, which is make peace with strained relationships. Perhaps I should have said between strained relationships. So from verse two, he says, Now I appeal to uh, Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, we're not 100% sure who he's talking to, perhaps Epaphroditus or someone like that, but he says, I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they, they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. You know, they were co-workers with Christ. They're important to him. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. And, you know, there's nothing worse, is there, than relationships that get strained. And sometimes even break down. There's nothing worse in life. It's, broken relationships are painful, aren't they? It's especially hard for a Christian because we're in the same family, in the family of God. You know, we've got this foundation of love. We belong to the Lord and to each other. So when it breaks down, it's like a sister or a brother who is in conflict. It's a family thing. And there's a lot of reasons why these, this can happen. And let me just say first, I know for some of you here that, are, that you might have some broken relationships in your life. I know that they bring you immense grief. We're not trying to treat this lightly today. And you've given everything you can to heal them. There's a lot of reasons that this can happen. So don't mishear me on this. I understand uh, there's often complexity and pain, and I'm not trying to be just flippant, right? So the example Paul gives us, though, is of this broken relationship that's mostly he says it's over a disagreement. This is not an example of a breakdown that's come from perhaps abuse or harm or neglect or something like that. That kind of relationship breakdown, it's, it's a different category really than I think what Paul's talking about. And it, sometimes it requires different advice and support. But a breakdown over with, with just a, uh, a disagreement, you know, that's a common thing. It's often how relationships start to fall apart. There's a disagreement and Paul gives this really simple appeal because sometimes Paul doesn't mince words. He doesn't muck around. He just says, sort it out. You should just sort it out. Now, firstly, I know Paul doesn't raise the actual issue. He just said it was a disagreement. He doesn't either also side with either person. And so that tells me something. It tells me if it was, it was, uh, if it was I think Paul, if there was a a disagreement over a theology or doctrine like that, he probably would have mentioned it and, and set them straight because he's good at that. He's like, you know, you, if you're doing this or if you're disagreeing on this and someone's got it wrong, he'll probably mention it, but he doesn't. So I don't think this is 
something of the, uh, of the uh, essential doctrine kind of disagreement. This is the non-essential kind, which is kind of where most personal disagreements lie. We just need to sort them out. There needs to be warm hearts and gentleness and kindness and peace. Paul also suggests that sometimes a third party should help. That's what he said. Sometimes we actually need help, don't we? To, to mend things up. If they can't agree to disagree, they need help. And maybe that's what that person can help them to do, just to agree to disagree. So if you find yourself in a disagreement, don't sweep it under the carpet. In my experience, that comes back later worse, when we just try to ignore things like that. Don't let the relationship break down any further. Don't let it fester. Don't let a bitter root form, whatever you do. Don't let it spread to others around you. Instead, you know, we've been following Philippians 2, where Paul says you have the same attitude that Jesus has. So that's what we apply. We be humble. And as, I, as I've been thinking more and more lately about this idea of humility, we don't, perhaps we don't have to be right if there's a disagreement. We don't have to be right. We don't have to win if it's an argument. We don't have to win that disagreement. We definitely don't have to be offended. We definitely could apologise if we need to. And we absolutely should forgive. We absolutely should forgive. Christ has forgiven us. And it's almost like, uh, how dare we not, you know, for all the things that Christ has forgiven me for. Why would I not forgive someone else? All these things can be hard to do because we are, our human sinful nature has a tendency to pride. But the Holy Spirit in us is greater than our pride. He's greater than our offence. He brings peace to our hearts and then into our relationships. So Paul is exhorting us, urging us, do the hard work to make peace. And you know what, church? I bet for some of us here today, as we've been talking about this, someone's popped into your head that you've got a disagreement with. And God is, I suggest, if that is the case for you, a person popped into your mind, I think it's God. Maybe he's saying something to you. And I encourage you, meet up with that person. Focus on reconciliation and peace, even though it can be hard, even though you might have to give. That's the kind of life Jesus wants for his followers. Including in the church. Exhortation number three. Find joy over misery. By the way, there's lots of... Um, uh, today's passage connects well with Advent in some ways. So verse 4 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Just in case I didn't do that properly. Because he didn't say, always be full of the Lord. Full of joy. Rejoice. He didn't say that. He said, be full of joy in the Lord. Rejoice. Yeah, let anyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. And remember, the Lord is coming soon. There, there it is again. He was saying that 2,000 years ago. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. We must be real close. I remember once I was sitting with this older couple and we were watching on the, on the TV a live stream of a celebration of young people um, who had just graduated from a, a mission 
overseas mission. And being young people, they were excited for what um, they had done for the Lord and what God had done with them and for them. And so they were cheering and clapping and woo-hooing and having a really good time. And this particular, the husband of this particular older couple made this comment along the lines of, why do they have to be like that and be so noisy? And the wife fired back, well, it's better than being miserable. And I, and I thought, dang straight. Exactly. As Christians, we fundamentally have something to be joyful about. My wife's laughing because she knows who it is. <laughs> what Christ has done in us. Yeah? Is that a reason to be joyful? Yes. That's good. You know, the relationship I have with him, that's a reason to be joyful. The promises he's made. His answers to our prayers. The freedom that he has given us, you know, to, the, the, the power that he's put in us through his Holy Spirit to overcome the things that take away our freedom. The changes he's brought in us. The church family we get to do life with. I have a lot of joy because of you. Hopefully it's reciprocated. The life in Christ brings joy. Now we remember, don't we, that the Christians that Paul was writing to had reasons not to have joy because their culture was against them, including their governments. They were walking the true life of persecution so the original audience really do understand suffering and pain and disappointments in ways that sometimes we don't yet quite understand. And it would have to be distressing at times, surely. And yet here's Paul telling them they need to... How did he put it? Put it back on the screen. Always, always... He didn't say mostly or sometimes. Always be not half but full of the joy in the Lord. And then he repeats himself in case you missed it. <laughs> it's a recurring theme for believers in Scripture. And Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, in John 15, he said, Be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Filled to overflow. That much joy. Filled to overflow. Believers are filled with the joy of the Lord to overflowing. So question, do you reckon people can say that about you? Do you reckon people can say that about me? I know we can't walk around, you know, with this fake smile permanently plastered on our, on our face, sort of constantly happy, because superficial happiness is, is generally dependent on circumstances. Believers, though, should have a deep joy in the Lord that transcends circumstances. This is the point. You can see it, in our, hopefully, in our faces. You can hear it in our voices. People should be able to notice it in our handshakes, in our hugs. Something's different, even though life is hard. It's grounded in a person's relationship with Jesus. It's resilient, even when it's tough. Remember, the church in Philippi was doing it tough. I'm not talking about faking it and pretending everything is awesome all the time. That's not me. I'm all for being real. Life can be really hard and painful. Our emotions are 
In fact, emotions are okay. They come from God. We're made in his image. God has emotions too, so it's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve. Sometimes it's even good to grieve. Jesus did all those things. He cried. He wept. He got exhausted. He got upset. He laughed. He was disappointed. He had to rest and take a break. So joy is not pretending. Paul himself experienced a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. But even in these times, he's trying to make a point that there's a joy, there's a deep down joy that fills us and at times it flows out of us into the people around us. You might be saying, well, I don't, I'm not sure where it comes from, Pastor. I don't know if I have that joy. You know, it's knowing that whatever is happening, there's a transcendent and dynamic presence of God's Spirit in me, and it's powerful. It's the real secret of joy. It's not pretending everything is okay or blocking our ears and our eyes to reality. It's not running away from difficulty either. The real secret is being filled with the Holy Spirit Filled, since we're talking about filled, with the Holy Spirit and walking daily with him, we can find joy when we do that. You know, if you're lacking joy, I I suspect it's about not walking daily with, with him. His presence in us is not just Christian talk in the pulpit. It's actually something real and tangible and, and we can feel it and experience it. Our attitudes towards or attitude towards life is not defined by circumstances. This is the point. It's, but, but by a real and rewarding relationship with the living God, it's the same attitude that Jesus had. It becomes ours. I encourage you, if you're lacking joy, I know you've probably got circumstances in your life that feels like it's stealing your joy, but walking with Jesus brings a, 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 a tangible joy that you can't find anywhere else. Exhortation number four, there's five, so we've got two to go. So number four is guard your mind. Now, here's the thing. If you're following along in your own Bibles, I know most of you are watching the screen, but if you are, I'm going to flip the next two paragraphs. So we're going to jump down to eight and nine and then come back to six and seven to finish. So verse eight says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thought. It's not final for us, but fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Hmm. That's challenging. It seems so simple, and yet, let's be honest, we're not that good at it. Because we feed our minds with, uh, if you just go back to the, first, the next previous screen, we feed our minds with things that are not honourable and good and pure. You know, what we feed our minds, what we look at with our eyes, what we listen to with our ears can rob us of life. Here's what uh, John Mark Comer says. What you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. 
that bodes well for, these, for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in this world, in his world, but not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the non-stop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural driv- drivel. As if we give it, in the first place, much of it is stolen by a clever algorithm out to monetize our precious attention. He's telling it straight, isn't he? But again, we become what we give our attention to, for better or worse. There's only so many articles you can read about Harry and Megan, you know. (laughs) There's a limit, surely. But see how our world works? The kind of life that leaves us really satisfied is found through the presence and fullness of Christ and all the good things that he has gifted us for us to enjoy. Putting our minds into the wrong things robs us of a life to the full. Remember Jesus said that? That's why he came, to give us life to the full. And if, we, if we've got our minds focused on the wrong things, it robs us. You know, there's some obvious and easy wins here, church, uh, that we can take back for ourselves. Sorry, I shouldn't have said easy because it's not easy, is it? Depending on how much we have to break patterns and addictions. This is not about me setting a rule or a law for you. It's receiving and following biblical, biblical advice about what is good for us. You know, what do we watch on TV or on our devices that is not honourable, pure and admirable? I don't mean to act like mum and dad, you know. I'm not going to tell you to, to um, leave your devices out of your bedroom or anything like that. It's, not, it's your decision. I'm not here to condemn you. This is just good advice from Paul that benefits us. You know, recently someone recommended a show to me and I, I, I thought, yeah, I'm looking for something new to, to watch in some spare time. And uh, I was watching this show and, and it was going really well, but half an hour in, two people started taking all their clothes off. And the show, I thought it was good up to this point, but I turned it off. Admittedly, I probably haven't always done that in my life, but I'm trying to make changes that bring life. And you might say, but Nathan, isn't it just acting? You know, it's not real, you know. It's the arts. Well, firstly, God invented the arts. So there must be plenty of good art that I can enjoy that doesn't require me to watch two people have sex on the screen. Also, to be really vulnerable with you, The main reason I need to turn that off is because I have a male brain that responds to visual stuff. And Jesus said, what I think up here is just as important as what I'm doing with my hands, what I'm doing with my actions. You know, I made a commitment to my wife and to be exclusively one to her, and that includes my thought life. And, you know, I actually want my marriage to be good. You know, life to the full and all that, that's, that's why... So that shows now off my list. You know, those naked actors aren't going to get my eyeballs or my thoughts. And this is not about legalism, as I said. I'm not demanding anything of you. I have no underlying objection. If, you, if, you know, if you're into gaming and, and social media and, and watching YouTube and going to the movies or Netflix or, the con- or co- going to concerts or to the theatre, they can all be great. 
So I'm not trying to guilt you out of those things. And, you know, we're not going to be one of those crazy legalistic churches that says you can't go to any of those things or go to the movies or anything like that. It's not about that. This is not old school religious burdens like Pharisees. But like everything in life, there is an abuse, an overuse, a perversion, a twisting, a broken version of what God made and what should be good. So this is good advice from Paul for our benefit. Guarding our minds pays off. Focusing on what is good and true and pure brings life. I know there was some vulnerable stuff in there, so give me some verbal. Is everyone good? Thanks, brother. That was my actual brother. Exhortation number five. (laughs) This is number five. Find rest from worry. Is this hard? Is it hard to find rest from worry and anxiety and stress? Come on, let's be honest. Is it hard? We're going to get back to verse six and seven, see what Paul says to the church. Because again, he just says, don't do something. (laughs) Don't worry about anything. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) Okay, we're all good. Let's go. (laughs) Instead, we have a beautiful gift that God gave us. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for what he has done. And sometimes I think that, yeah, we should be thanking for what God has already done, but I think we're thanking him for what he's about to do. Verse 7, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and our minds, our anxious minds, As you live in Christ Jesus. So how do we find this peace in in our stress and and maybe pain that we're going through? And I ask this question, question knowing most of you, you have peace with God. You've made peace. Jesus is your saviour. Most of you here today, I know you're believers, but let's be honest. Peace, it just seems to be hard to find sometimes. You know, we do worry a lot about our circumstances. And it's understandable. We feel anxious. We feel like the world is out of control. We feel like sometimes our lives can get out of control. Things do go wrong. Really, really painful things. God knows. Paul's not saying pretend those things don't happen. That's not what he's saying. Jesus knows painful things. He understands. But Paul says there's something tangible that invades those difficult moments and circumstances. Maybe I should say someone. Someone tangible. The presence of Jesus is not just nice words in a sermon. You know, we, we talked about this during the story, didn't we? The presence of God was with his people. It was real. It was powerful. It was effective. And it can bring rest to us, rest to our bodies, rest to our souls. This is the beautiful thing about being connected to Jesus. He asks us to bring all the things that worry worry us to him in prayer. All of them. You don't have to pick and choose. All of them. He asks us to trust him. And even says, Paul says, thank him in advance. Because you're trusting 
God with all of the things that concern you. Then you will experience the kind of peace that defies our human emotions. Only those who trust Jesus can experience it. It's bigger than human understanding. It brings the kind of peace that can only be described as supernatural. Worries can go from large and consuming and just feel like the pressure is immense against us to small and under control and manageable. Peace can descend. We really can find rest from our worries. It doesn't mean circumstances leave us, although they might, because God can do that. That might be what he brings. But it does mean this, whatever happens, we're okay. Jesus loves me. Remember the, that little Sunday school song we used to sing, It is Powerful. It's not just for six-year-olds. Jesus loves me. This I know, for his word tells me so. He is our Lord. He is in control. <laughs> Thank God. And some of you know the story of Horatio Spafford. Team's going to come and prepare. Who knows this one? Horatio Spafford. You might recognise it. You're not putting your hands up, but you might recognise it because Horatio Spafford, he knew something about trials. He knew something about pain. He was a successful lawyer. He was a real estate investor. And during the great fire of Chicago fire of 1871, he pretty much lost it all. Lost all of his fortune. And then in the middle of that trouble, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. So he decided he'd, he really he needed to get away with his family. And so he sent his wife and four daughters off to England for, for a holiday ahead of him on a ship while he stayed back to finish off some, some things with his business. And he said, I'll join you over there. And while his family was crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship had a terrible accident and the ship was lost. And over 200 people died, including four of his daughters. And somehow his wife survived. And when she arrived in England, she sent a telegram to her husband. It just back then, that this was how you had to communicate back then, and, and just said, "Saved alone, what shall I do?" So Horatio immediately set sail for England. And at one point during the voyage, uh, the captain knew of his the tragedy in his life, and they got to the point where the ship had gone down, where his four daughters had lost their life and he, and he brought Horatio to the deck and he said, this is the spot where you lost your, most of your family. And so he thought about his daughters and words of comfort and hope actually filled his heart in that moment. And he wrote them down and he, and he wrote out, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And I don't think it's possible for anyone to say that every part of their life is well. Because some here today, you're facing really hard circumstances. Some here have lost loved ones recently. 
Some have relationships and family breakdowns. Some have kids away from the Lord. Some are facing financial difficulties. Some are overloaded with job stress. Some in business are facing massive challenges and setbacks. Some here today, today are battling cancer. Some have a really bad or difficult health diagnosis. Some of you are actually suffering from abuse in your life. Some are stuck in addictions. Some have mental health struggles. Some have difficulty with university. Some are incredibly lonely. Whatever your struggle is today, whatever your pain, with faith in a living and loving God, with faith in His promises, and if you completely trust in His divine help, no matter what happens in your circumstances, you can say confidently, it is well with my soul. So as the team lead us through this beautiful old hymn, if you can say that, you sing it out this morning. It is well with my soul. At the same time, I'm going to invite the prayer team, if there's some here today, to be at the altar. And they will pray with you and for you. And as you do that, I just say, look, you come forward for prayer. You follow the scripture that we read today. That's the key. Tell God what you need. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he has done. Thank him for what he is going to do. And in faith, receive supernatural peace. You walk away from that prayer time in faith saying, I've received it, Lord, because it's in his word.